welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I left you last time with part one, and I, I think that some folks think that I do like teasers. Like, I'm gonna preach a sermon on purpose, like chop it right at the fun part, and then leave for two weeks. Ha ha! I dangled the carrot out in front of you. I had no intentions, A, of this message being a two-parter, and B, when I said I'll preach it next time, I really thought that's next Sunday. Because believe it or not, when you're up here preaching, you don't really have your schedule in your brain. And so I didn't realize that I wouldn't be here the next Sunday. So I apologize to anybody who thinks that I'm doing that cliffhanger thing to try to get people to part two of the movie. I'm not doing that. I am preaching the kingdom. I'm doing the best that I can. And sometimes, every once in a great while, I get a smidge long-winded. <laughs> Remember how I just said I loved everybody? You're still our beloved too, Steve. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, it's a joke. Oh, you're funny. And so I didn't finish. So I apologize for not finishing, but we're in Foundation Stones, number three. I'm so excited about this series, by the way. I have so many things I want to say all at once. <laughs> this is part two of what I entitled In Formation, In Formation. The secondary title is Paideia which is a Greek word and we'll get there. So paideia or information part two. What makes a fruitful tree is a healthy root system. What makes a safe building is a good foundation. What's gonna make a successful life for you? It's not gonna be some angel flying by and sprinkling, sprinkling pixie dust on you and then you get a little, little jolt from heaven and then, ah, oh, I got the most amazing life ever because of the pixie dust. No, you're going to have to do the really hard, difficult, necessary parts of having a strong, good, healthy foundation root system. That is the only thing that you can build on. And I honestly, have come to realize in my, in my advanced years that this is not something that people tend to do. They just go from message to message, from preacher opinion to preacher opinion, from half verse to half verse, and the totality of their, their Christian revelation and understanding is all these little itty bitty pieces that honestly don't even fit together very well. Because you ask them about, hey, you have this revelation of this? Yeah, well, what about this? I don't know. I was just with an older gentleman, and he 
is dying of bone cancer and was thanking Jesus for the bone cancer because it made him do some important things like concentrate on himself. You, you got to know, I've got a lot of grace. I didn't say a word. I didn't rebuke him. I didn't like body slam the dumb out of him. I just sat there and listened to him and, and tried my best to love him and help him. And he said, you know, and I know that's probably bad theology and, and it's probably against the Bible, but I don't care. That's my experience. Was adamant, adamant about it. Like you're dying you're thanking Jesus for killing you. You even know that it's wrong and you're not going to change. And I was like, man, you are such a normal Christian. Such a normal Christian. I don't know if you know this, but a major aspect of pagan worship, pagan, anti Christianity, pagan worship, a major aspect is emotion and experience. Do you know how we're trying to paganize Christianity? Because if Christianity gives me really good emotions and really good experiences, I'll build my whole life on that version of Christianity. Not even recognizing they're literally building a pagan philosophy into their Christianity. I've had tons of folks over the 11, 12 years that we've been doing ministry where I said, this is what the Bible says. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. This is how I feel. This is what I've experienced. Well, just go on then. I mean, I can't help you. All I can tell you is what the eternal truths of the kingdom are that God gave us in his word. That's all I got for you. If you're, if you're hunting emotions and experiences and, and feel-goods and, and Shekinah clouds and all that kind of stuff, if you're hunting all that stuff, that's fine. I just, I don't have that for you here. All I have for you here are the truths, the foundational truths that have really been a part of Christianity for 2,000 years and has kept the church successful and is going to take us into this great awakening that we're going into. It's not going to be emotions. It's not going to be experiences. It's not going to be supernatural, flippant things that don't actually change people. What's going to change us is the engrafted word of God that's able to bring salvation to our souls and the truths that go along with that. This is foundation. And our life is supposed to look like a mosaic. For those of you that have ever seen a real, uh, a real authentic mosaic, where it's got all these little pieces that don't look like they connect whatsoever to the totality of the picture. But when they're all together, it's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever look at. And just like any puzzle that you put together, unless you start with the borders, Go try to put a puzzle together and start in the middle. My wife, God bless her, puts puzzles together. And if she asked me to help, I'd rather cut off a limb. 
It is torture. It's almost as bad as Mitchell's hell having to take pictures. I will not put a puzzle together. I'll sit with her, I'll pet her hair, I'll tell her she's doing great, like, good job with the puzzle piece, woo! I, I ain't doing it, not doing it. But I know this much, if you don't put the border together, you will never put the puzzle together. And the border of our Christian life is the foundational principles that we are all supposed to have, and I dare say most folks don't. Most folks don't. And so they're trying to build a building on a pent, on, on like one tent peg, and they wonder why everything falls over every couple of years. Crash. And some people don't survive the crash. You know how many folks I've met, they're like, I was, I was all in for Jesus, and then this happened. I spent 45 minutes with a fellow not that long ago who, and I quote, I don't have a problem with God, I just have a problem with church and God's people. <laughs> you know what I said to him? So does God. God ain't got a problem with himself. He's got a problem with us. But yet he still chose that this is going to be the system that he's going to influence the entire world. So I guess I just need to go ahead and think, like, well, I guess he's God, and this is the system that he chose. I guess I need to stop being such a rebel and think that I'm going to go do it by myself better than God. This is it. This is what he's got. If you don't like, look around. This is what he's got. If you don't like this, there's no alternative, meaning go find another one, but they're going to have issues in that church too. There's no perfect church. As soon as you show up, even if it was perfect, it would be imperfect. <laughs> Kay and I had the perfect church. Kids were small. They didn't know any better. I was the preacher. Kay was the amen section. And the kids had to listen. <laughs> Greatest church ever. It was perfect. The offerings sucked, but it was awesome. <laughs> Everybody listened, at least pretended to. Then the kids grew up. And I added all you people. And the church got issues. Do you have issues. I have issues. We all come together. We have group issues. And there's the Holy Spirit to work it all out. Amen. And if we all build the same foundations and borders in our life, then we're going to be able to lean on those solid truths that are eternal. And we're going to be able to gather to make this beautiful thing that God calls the ecclesia filled with living stones that he himself wants to live in. If you're God and you could live anywhere in anything, would you choose you? He chose us. Anybody listen to Bob's message last week? He chose us. He wants this to be the place that he dwells. The king is in the room. He's here. This is his building. We are his building. And the king's heavy. So we need to have a good foundation. What foundation? The foundation of our life is character. The weaker the character the more fragile the person. And you know, 
some very fragile people that they're one bad moment away from complete meltdown. And some of them just live in complete meltdown all day long, all week long, all month long. God is not building a fragile people. He's not building a fragile temple. He's not building a fragile church. He's not building something that's touch and go and, and easily offendable and, and they're always going from, from one angry moment to the next angry moment because somebody didn't do something that they wanted them to do. Uh-huh. A- a- amen. <laughs> that's not the church he's building. He's building a strong, solid, confident, not wishy-washy, not blown by every wind and wave of doctrine, not like, oh my God, they're going to bring up COVID 2.0. They're, they're talking about it. They're, they've already designed their virus and they're going to launch it on the whole earth. And, and people are already, we've seen more masks in Puerto Rico than I've seen in probably a year. It's, it's for real. And you know how many people are like, oh, God, no. I'm like, are you for real? Do your thing, stupid people. I don't, I'm not going to play your reindeer games. I'm not in your system. You, you live by all the fear you want to live by. You live by all the fragility you want to live by. You take a thousand jabs if that's going to make you feel better. But I'm not in your system. I have a completely different system. I have a king. And he rules over a kingdom that I'm going to live in. You all want to live that way. You want to be fragile. You want to be emotional. You want to have the thing that is always going to mess with you. And did you hear what they said on the news? No. What? How did you not? I don't care. (laughs) Did you hear what Jesus said in John chapter 6? Well, no. What did he say? Yeah. Maybe you should be more concentrating on that. The most exquisite and fortified castle is only as good as its foundation. Kay and I got to visit an actual real castle. The castles went to a castle in Germany. And it was amazing. Pictures don't do one justice. When you're standing next to one, or you can't really stand next to one because they're just massive. They're as big as like half a Lena. And just spread out and... And this thing was, I think it was like 1,500 years old. And it was just as strong in places as it was probably the day it was built. Like it's 1,500 years old. In America, we can't make a road last over the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Or even half a year sometimes. The most amazing, fortified, exquisite, expensive, Royal castle ever built is only as good as its foundation. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows, notice it's a two-parter, listens and follows. If you heard Bob last week, you know how you deceive yourself? Anybody here last week? Anybody know the Bible? How do you deceive yourself? Uh, Okay, I'll I'll help you. 
You deceive yourself by being a hearer of the word and not a doer. That person deceives themselves. Do you know how many people are blaming Satan for deceiving them? Satan is tricking me all the time. Really? Are you doing the word? Well, no, but it's Satan. Yeah, you're tricked twice now. Because you're the one deceiving you and you're blaming Satan. You are in Ed. You are in an infinite circle of, no, uh, of not being able to be helped. There's no way out for you because you're deceived and you think the one deceiving you is Satan. Deceived, it's Satan. Deceived, and neither of these two things you have a revelation of. The reason you're deceived is because you're deceiving yourself because you hear the word, but you don't do the word. If you hear the word and do the word, you won't be deceived. If Eve would have done what God said, then when the snake showed up and gave her some other form of deception, she said, ah, stupid snake. Mm -mm. My God is a good God. My father's a good father. And if he said don't eat it, that's for my benefit. So you can just slither on off. She deceived herself by not doing what God told her to do. So it's two parts. You gotta know and do. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows, it is wise, and follows it, is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Listen to the analogy that the Lord uses. So listening and doing is equivalent to building solid foundations for the home where you're going to live. Where you're going to live is the house you built. And some folks, you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years in, you're like, oh, this isn't very awesome living here. So you can whine and complain and be all dejected and depressed, or you can just say, all right, where's the bulldozer? That's my nickname. Go to Steve, he'll bulldoze everything. I'm good at that part. Anybody? And then build a new foundation. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, notice both. Rain, floodwater. Has anybody ever felt like they've been in like a nasty sandwich? Like stuff coming from this direction and stuff coming from this direction? Guess what? It's for everybody. The Lord tells the, the instance of, he uses this parable, and he's going to show us the two different types of buildings. One was built on the sand foundation, one was built on a solid foundation. And both of them had the exact same experience. I remember when I got this like 20 years ago, I was like, oh, the good house and the bad house both had the same storm. It wasn't the storm, it was the house. And you, I, that was one of those times that you could hear Jesus laughing in heaven. Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> Way to go, son. Figured it right on out there, didn't you? You're gonna have storms and floods at the same time. Like some of us are like, Lord, I can handle a storm. And the enemy's like, oh, how about a flood too? No, 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 no. 
We don't get to pick how things like this happen in our life. What you do get to pick is how you're going to respond. Did you build a house that's ready for it? Or did it come and knock you over? And a lot of people get knocked over, and then they, never mind, I'm not going to go there. But anyone who hears, uh, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey, notice both builders heard the same, they had the same pastor. Both builders had the same exact shepherd in their life. Went to the same church, sat in the same purple chairs. And one of them had a storm and a flood come and knocked their entire life into the ocean. And the next person, in a purple chair right next to him, heard the exact same thing, built differently, and they were sitting there having hot cocoa next to the fireplace while the storm was blowing and the flood was flooding. The difference is what do you do with the word that you hear? But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Lord, what a terrible prophecy. Don't you dare prophesy evil over me. It's not prophecy. It's a fact. You build a bad house, you build it on sand, it ain't going to take much for it to get knocked over. The same situations that knock some people over in life are the same situations that's come to Kay and I. And we're happy, healthy, enjoying life. Can't wait for the next Sunday to be with our beloved family. We've experienced some of the same stuff. If anybody's ever experienced worse than you and they're doing better than you, then it's not the experience, it's your foundation. And there's people in this room, I know some of the testimonies of some of you have gone through terrible, terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. And you're good, and you're healthy, and you're loving life, praising God, going on, sitting right next to someone who I would consider really hadn't had a whole lot of issues, and they're completely decimated. What's the difference? Foundation. The steps to building are foundation stones. The first thing, I call this the blueprint, and this is the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God, Romans 1.16. And that power is the revelation of righteousness. If you've ever studied out Romans 1.16, what gives the gospel the power is that inside the gospel is a revelation of righteousness. That's where the power of God comes from. You having a revelation of your right standing with God that was produced through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the power 
that's going to build, create your life. And I call this the blueprint. The gospel is the blueprint for us as to what it should look like. The second step is excavation. If you've ever built anything or seen anything built, first you've got to get the blueprint. What do we want to build? And you go and, and have someone design it. It's going to look like this. And so then the next step is you got to put in the foundation. And so you bring in all the excavators and the heavy equipment. And you know what they do? They tear out all the grass. It was good grass. And they knock a tree over. I love that tree. It's my favorite tree. Park carved a little heart in it. And they, and they break up rocks. <laughs> and they dig. And move everything out. Excavation. And you got, now where you are in the process is worse than what you started. At least before that happened, you had a good grassy field. Go lay out there and have a picnic. But then this stinking excavator came in. Now you got a big old hole. This is a necessary part of the process of building. Blueprint, then excavation. And excavation is repent and believe. Mark 1.15, this is the message that Jesus came, that he brought. And if Jesus brought the message to those people, then that same Jesus is going to bring that same message to these people. The kingdom, the time for the kingdom of God to come into your life is fulfilled. It's now. So what do you got to do? Repent. Repent and believe. Excavation. Three, then you got to put in the forms in the rebar. So you got to go in there and you got to build something that's not even really supposed to be part of the building. I always think that's funny. Like we're, we're going to spend all this time doing all this lumber work to build the, the forms and to place all the rebar and get it just right and ain't none of that going to really have anything to do with what you're going to have at the end result. It's going to be hidden. It's not even, it's ugly. You're going to tear the forms out. You might even throw them away because they're just going to be useless. I'm like, you're going to spend all this work. Like, just go pour the concrete. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> it don't work. You got to form it and you got to put the rebar in for it to, to work. This is that internal process that really not a lot of people ever see going on and is really not the fun part. It's just like extra work, like can we just get to the, I just want to put the pictures on the wall. You, you got to form and rebar, you got to do this. This is necessary. I call that declaring your allegiance. And this, this is the part that is internal and it's only really you. You only know. You know where your allegiance is. If your allegiance is to money, you know, Bob was using those verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 6 where it says, charge the rich men among you. And I think it's funny because how many people think like it's supposed to be wrong to be rich? And here's Paul writing to Timothy saying, oh yeah, I know there's rich people there. Good. They just need to make sure that they're doing the right thing. God don't have a problem with you being rich. He's got a problem with you being rich and not doing the right thing. 
Amen. You know, you can be poor and not do the right thing with your money. Anybody? It's not how much you do or you don't have. It's what you do with it. That's what God cares about. Amen. Declaring your allegiance in the different areas of your life is you putting in the structure, you putting in the rebar, you building the forms. This is where I will not go. I am allegiant to Jesus in this area. I will not cross this line. Rebar, forms, declaring your allegiances in different places. This is where I'm going to go with my eyes. This is where I'm going to go with my ears. This is where I'm going to go with my time. This is where I'm going to go with my affections. This is where I'm going to go with my money, and I'm not going any farther. This is my allegiance. Only you know. You can tell a bunch of people, hey, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And this is, you, can, you can convince the whole world around you that you are that Christian. You are awesome on steroids. But really, really, it's the truth on the inside of you. How many people have heard someone declare, hey, yeah, let me tell you what I'll never do again. Well, you said a God word, didn't you? Boy, someone get the camera because we're about to see it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. This is our forms and our rebar. If you confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus, not the saviorship. A lot of people have Jesus as savior, not as Lord. It's not what this is talking about. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that God justified your Lord, then you're going to have salvation. And saved doesn't mean go up when you die versus going down when you die. Salvation is something that happens presently, right now, or not in your life. <clears throat> uh, next verse, please. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And then with the mouth. A lot of people get this backwards. They use their mouth first. Amen? Nobody here, don't amen me. Because none of you are this way. None of you talk first and then believe later. Amen. Those are the four aspects to building. That fourth one is concrete and structure. So you finally get to the end of it. And this is where you pour the concrete, smooth it out, you start putting studs up, start putting drywall up, putting all your fixtures on, and then this is where your wife takes over and tells you what kind of faucet you're going to have in the bathroom. <laughs> this rest of the process is the rest of your life. You're going to decorate your house. Let me, let me take that back. Your wife is going to decorate your house. And then six months later, change the decoration because the weather changed. Amen. What a waste of time. You're going to put up fall decorations? Why? Because it's fall. Not in the house, though. It's not fall in here. Why is there fall decorations in here? God bless women. Amen. And the men that... Never mind. 
The rest of our life is the decoration, undecorating, decorating, undecorating, decorating. And then you grow and you get smarter and you take down something, then you put up something. And then you wear out the furniture. And then you got to go get more because it doesn't work anymore. This is the rest of our life. Like I had a revelation, but then I got this bigger, better one. And then, you know, I realized that wasn't even really that good of a revelation. I might have been off over there, so now I'm going to have this. This is the rest of our life. Decorating, repainting, replacing furniture, fixing anything that gets wrong. That's the rest of the Christian life. But it first have to have those, th for those first three things. You got to have the blueprint, you got to have the excavation, and you got to have the concrete, the forms, the rebars, the rest of it is what the Lord wants us to do. Now what happens is most Christians just work on four. They don't, they don't have the blueprint, they don't know what it's supposed to look like, they never did the excavation work because nobody wants a bulldozer to come in their heart. Whoa, 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 just be gentle. Just come and tell me a little truth. Give me some sugar. Okay, and we'll do that. We'll give you the little truths and you can come for the rest of your life and get the little truths and... But you're not going to really have the house that's going to be beautiful and decorated. And when somebody walks in and like, you know, Kay and I have a cross. Well, I shouldn't even have said that. Don't buy us a cross. <laughs> we have a cross wall that we've built over the course of our marriage, 28 years together, from places that we've gone in special moments and special occasions that we bought crosses. Like when we go and travel somewhere, we buy a cross and it reminds us of where we went and where we took Jesus. And so we have a big cross wall in our dining room. And that cross wall is a, it's a living part of our lives. There's each of those crosses, you know, if you walked in there, you'd say, hey, cool cross wall, that looks great. But for us, it's not like, hey, cool cross wall. It's like that cross is the cross that we got when we went and did that amazing thing that Jesus asked us to do. And this, and this cross represents hundreds of peoples or thousands of people and, and hours. And we got a Germany cross and it represents like this massive part like of, of our lives, of our hearts. And for you, it's like, hey, it's a cool cross. What's, what's special to you is the, is the way that you decorate it. Your revelation is your revelation, and you can't just like hand that to someone. I can't hand someone our German cross, and they're like, oh, I feel all the stuff that you feel and have the memory. No, you're, you're not going to get that. You're going to get a cross. Our Christian life is building all of these things for our experiences with the Lord and with the Lord's people, and, and it becomes this ornate, this beautiful thing And this is, the rest of our lives is remaining loyal, allegiant, growing in God, growing in trust, growing in love, growing in the grace of God. This, this totality of this is what I've called believing loyalty. You've heard me preach, those of you that were here, I preached a message about whether... It's save law, save law, save lost, or once saved, always saved. So I'd go back and get that message. I'm not going to re-preach it, but I'll tell you this. The, the content of the scriptures is you have to believe and be loyal today. 
You don't get to believe and be loyal one day, way back there, and it just seals you forever. And you go live any old way you want to live for the rest of your life, and God's going to be like, well, that one day you did the thing. It is to believe, be loyal, be allegiant today. Kay can't say, well, one time, you know, he went to the altar with me and we got married. Ever since, you know, he's, he's been with 10,000 women since then. He, I don't even know if he's coming home. I, you know, we don't have anything together. But, you know, we had that one thing 28 years ago at the altar. It don't work that way. And a lot of folks work God that way. Like, well, we had that one thing. I got saved when I was... When I was a youth at the camp, okay, great. Did you grow in faith? Did you grow in your allegiance to God? Have you grown in love? Have you, do you trust him more now than then? You should. I trust Kay more now than then. People that I have in my life that, are, that I have authentic relationships with, with the first day you meet them, you're like, boy, I hope I trust you, but I don't yet. Hopefully over time and with the relationship of that person, you grow in trust, you grow in trust, you grow, you grow in love. That's the rest of our Christian life. This is Matthew 10, 22. This is Matthew 24, 13. This is Revelation 2, 24 and 25. Can you put Revelation 2, 24 and 25 up, please? Hopi, thank you. You're beautiful and you are anointed by God. Verse 24, but unto you I say and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden, verse 25, but that which you have already. Hold fast till I come. Hold fast till I come. Are you holding fast today? And this was, Jesus said this all the time. Paul says this all the time. This is you believing today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. It says all scripture is God breathed. This is why building your life on the scriptures is way better than building your life on experiences. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for one. You'll note that these scriptures are very connected to what I just gave you, those four parts about building your, your, building your home. So one is the blueprint, which attaches to one here, instruction. That's what a blueprint is, it's the instruction of what it's supposed to look like. And then two is conviction. Conviction, yeah, it's like excavation. Amen. You're going in there and you're, you're tearing out what doesn't belong because the Spirit of God has prompted you that that tree is in the way. I want to build a house right there. You got to move that tree, move that grass, move that dirt. Ugh. Okay, conviction. The Word of God does the conviction. And then three, correction. Yay! Favorite word ever. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I love it when Jesus comes and corrects me. <laughs> Says no one ever. Correction is the forms in the rebar. If you don't get the correction, if you don't, 
build it the way that it's supposed to be built with the structure, with the rebar going through it, then you're gonna end up with leaning tower of Pisa yeah. or falled over castle. Falled over castle. <laughs> for correction and four, for training. So training is the rest of it. So the word of God does all four of these processes in our lives and our hearts. And this word for training is paideian, paideian. And this is a noun, and, it, and it's for training in righteousness. You know you are probably trained in righteousness today. And if you stay loyal and allegiant to God and you grow in trust and love, you are going to grow in your revelation of righteousness by tomorrow. You don't get the revelation of righteousness. You get a revelation of righteousness and then you grow on it and you grow on it and you grow on it because you are in right standing with God. And you only know what that means based upon the totality of what you know right now. You're not going to know what that means if you grow tomorrow because it's going to mean so much more. Being in right standing with God is when you first come into the kingdom, hopefully this was a message that someone gave you like, hey, Jesus died for your sins. He wants to forgive you. You, you, can, you can have relationship with God. What? Relationship with God? Yeah, you can. That's what he wants for you. That's, that's why Jesus did what he did. That's awesome. I'll take that. Awesome. Welcome to the kingdom. Glad you're here. And then you find out months later, or if you just showed up at Beloved, decades later, like, hey, God wants you to be in right standing with him, and it's actually going to affect your physical health, your financial health, your, your marital health, your, your relationship with your kids, your, the way that you're interacting with the world. Wait, wait a minute. All, all that's in there? Yeah, it's all in there. It's like Pragu. It, it's all in there. Well, I didn't know that was all in there. Yeah, because you were just eating the sauce. There's so much more that we grow in righteousness as we continue through this process. But some folks are just like, all right, got it. Saved. Show me to the bar, bub. You're not. It doesn't work that way. This is a growing, developing process. Any parent in the room, you had probably that moment of, I have a baby. I had a, I had a daughter, and I was a man. I was bad version of masculinity. I didn't have the balance that I needed because I didn't have the right kind of women in my life. And that, I'm not saying anything against Kay. She's one woman, and it takes an army of women to fix a man. If you don't say nothing, nobody will know. And I had a daughter first. It was the grace of God. Because I was just tough, rough, gruff. God bless Kay, going through all those years. And I remember holding Hannah, and she was a baby, and fragile, and soft, and beautiful in my man hands with my mechanic stains on them 
and my calluses from the restaurant business. And I'm like, God, I can't, I, I can't do this. Like, this is a little girl. They have feelings. <laughs> and Hannah was little, little tiny, maybe three or four months old, and she was on the floor, and I was on the floor with her, and she was playing with those little archy things that's got all the stuff that the baby's bad at. And I was, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have started this story. Oh, look at the time. And I was watching, has anybody ever seen The Patriot with Mel Gibson? And in this movie, Mel goes off to war and there's all this kind of stuff. But anyway, he had this little bitty daughter and when he went off to war, this daughter couldn't talk yet. She was still too young. And she got angry at her daddy for going away to war. And so when he came back and met her mid-war, she wouldn't talk to him. She ran away from him. She was angry at him, wouldn't talk to him. And it's a long story, but uh, Mel gets on his horse with his older son, and they're going to ride back off into the war and fight the British and do what they're called to do to change the nation. And he, he wants to have his daughter just give him a, just give me a hug. Just say something. And she goes and hides behind her aunt, and she won't do nothing. And so Mel, you could like just see his heart broken. Like he's fighting for his family, and this little girl just can't figure it out. And he gets on his horse, and he like, you know, rides away, and you're like, oh. And then this little girl, I'm going to cry. No, I'm not. This little girl runs out. And she says, Daddy, Daddy, don't leave. Don't, I'll say anything. Just don't leave me again, Daddy, Daddy. And I looked at Hannah. And I had not cried. I'm one of those guys. I don't cry. I still don't cry, except for right now. <laughs> and I looked at Hannah. And I was watching Mel Gibson. And he turned around and he jumped off his horse and he picked her up. And I'm like, ah! Hannah, I'll never leave you. You just say something. <laughs> and in that moment, I know you guys are going to think this is corny, but in that moment, something broke in me. And this is how, I don't know, manly I guess I was, as Kay was in the kitchen doing something. And she literally looked through the little, between the kitchen and the living room, she goes, are you crying? <laughs> like, Shut up, look at a daughter. She's like, you're crying? In a movie? I'm like, no, it's about Hannah. I'm crying over Hannah. She's like, whatever. <laughs> She's like, that's what makes you cry. We've been together at this point, you know, like six or seven years. Like, that makes you cry? A movie and Hannah. I'm like, it's a baby girl. And I remember realizing, like, I have, to, I have to raise her. This, this, it's not just a, like this is a person. I have to raise her. I have to build her into a person. It's not just the fun of having a baby and baby showers and painting rooms pink and all the stuff that goes with balloons, yay! I have to raise her. I have to, put, I have to put character into her. I have, to, I have to train her about life. I have to tell her about the things that are wrong and tell her about the things that are right. And it's going to take forever. And I'm not qualified. The joy of having a baby, the joy of having a child, like 
the kid and, and Brit are pregnant. Amen. They're being fruitful. They listen to their pastor. I told them on their wedding night, go be fruitful and multiply. If you need help, call me. I'll tell you how it works. They never called me. They figured it out. Somehow, that, that's, that's part of the process is after having a baby, you raise them. When, when, when something is born, when someone is born, you raise them. Why would it be any different when we're born again? You literally just entered a brand new world. And you know, a lot of people get born again, they're just like, all right. Good, got that out of the way, check. Now, back to life. It'd be like Hannah like, oh, good, way to go, Dad, glad you're having, back in the womb. <laughs> you, you, you don't get to go back in the womb. This is it. You're born again. You're in a new kingdom. There's a new king. There's a new way. You're going to have to build a new house. You've got to tear out all the old stuff. You've got to put in the new foundation. You've got to start over and build this house. That's the information. That's paideia. Paideia is that process that the Greeks put into their entire system that was supposed to take a born child and turn them into a full, capable, effective citizen for Greece. The Greek word padeia has no exact English translation. It is essentially the part of upbringing and education that forms the soul, the character, the ethos of a person. And it's the totality. It's an entire process. It is key to the formation of a culture. This is why the Greeks did it. They knew that if they raised up the children to be Greeks, then their culture would be Greek. <laughs> Shocking. Why do you think that culture out there wants to take our children and turn them into socialists and communists and, and gender non-conforming and whatever new words they're going to come up with to destroy them because they want to destroy the society. That's their goal. That's their intention. That's why they're doing it. And the Greeks did paideia because they wanted to form a cohesive, successful society. And so they built the society around this entire process. And it's key to the formation of a culture. A born person must be raised. A reborn person must be raised. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child the way that he should go. You know how many people don't understand that this verse says should go? And we're just like, well, I don't know what my kid's going to be. We'll see. You know, one day, when I was just talking to Missy. She's 48 and I'm 48. She's going to school and I'm going to school. You're like, what are we doing? We're the smart ones. Because we know what we're supposed to be doing in life. We know what God has called us to do. We know our mission and our vision. Now we're going to get the education. Now we're going to get some of the formation that we need to go and do those things. Instead of some 19-year-old kid like, go to college, son. Figure it out. Hope you make it. And then they're 32 and they're like, well, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Sorry, too late. You got a degree. 
We are supposed to train the children up in the way they should go, not the way they want to go, not the way their feelers think that they should go, not the way their friends tell them they should go, not the, not the reason that they use the chart and say, okay, well, this guy makes the most money and this guy makes the least money, so I'll do this one. That's not how you're supposed to go. You have gifts and talents and, and very unique and specific things that God has put in you and only you can do those things. I would make a terrible accountant. Ask Kay. I can't even give her receipts. <laughs> There's things I would be terrible at. I'm not going to do those things. I'm going to do these things. Train a child up in the way they should go. Your father in heaven knows how you should go. So he's going to put people around you that are going to help form and rebar that process. In Greek culture, the word, this word is massive, and it carries an entire manifesto of context, ideals, applications. This word was a prominent hyperlink that would have leapt from the page for any Greek reader. It was a deep cultural concept that was over 300 years old by the time Paul was writing these letters. It was such a valuable aspect of the Greek culture that the Romans carried it into their culture. Think about that. You're the conquering nation, and you're like, like these people, they're doing good with this. We're bringing this into our culture. <clears throat> it, was, it was known in Latin as humanitas. That probably sounds familiar to you, which is where we get our English word humanities. When you take humanities in college or in school, that's where the word came from. Paideia meant the process of educating man into his true form, the real, the genuine, the nature that you were created to be. They termed the end result the development of the good man. The development of the good man is the end result. This was how the Greeks created their society and perpetuated it through generation after generation. Paideia starts with an idea, not from an individual. Man, that was one of the biggest mouthfuls I've ever said. Most people in our culture, it's all about the individual. It's not about what God wants you to be for the body. It's about how important I am as the body piece. Don't you see me? I'm the pinky of the body of Christ. I'm the most awesome pinky. You're a pinky. Be a pinky. This ideal man was the pattern, the model towards all Greek educators and poets and artists and philosophers. In the Bible, the word paideia is used as in a few different ways. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul tells fathers to bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Paideia of the Lord. This is our responsibility, men, fathers, to train our children in the instruction of the Lord. Not your instruction, Here's how dad casts a lure. Well, good for you, dad. Did you train your children how to be godly people in the nation? Well, no, but they can cast a lure good. Congratulations. So Paul is saying that the fathers should raise their children in a way that teaches them about becoming the good man, the good woman of God. With the new and, the cult, the new and different culture of the kingdom of our Lord. 
The word paideia is used to describe a comprehensive process of education and formation. Heart, mind, body that is designed to produce a person who is wise, virtuous, check this out, and capable of knowing and doing good works. We have an entire generation right now that they don't know good from bad, bad from good, man from woman. That's parents. That, hello? We, we can blame the tabloids and the video games and the movies and all that kind of stuff. And you, you, you can put the blame on anything, but there was a mommy and a daddy or a lack thereof that allowed that to happen. If culture has more influence than parent, then parents are not parenting right. I mean, I have to like not look at folks because I don't want like, you're talking about parenting. I'm out of here. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. I am not writing this to shame you, <laughs> but to warn you as my beloved children. Even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, and this is the general Christian. They have 10,000 people. They got YouTubes and all this random knowledge that comes from all these random places. If you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I, Paul, speaking to Timothy, became your father through the gospel. And this is one of those verses that people just don't like in the Bible. You're saying that Paul was saying that he was Timothy's spiritual father? Nope, I'm not saying that. The Bible is. There's supposed to be people in here making sons and daughters. Discipling people that intimately that we're, late, we're literally forming the person into who God has created them to be. And if you think that you don't need that to happen, the only place that you'll apply that ignorance is in spirituality. It's the only place. If you woke up tomorrow and you believe that God told you to be a mechanic, you wouldn't say, well, I'm going to figure out how to be a mechanic all by myself. I'm just going to pray and God's going to teach me how to be a mechanic. You're going to break people's cars and probably yourself. What if you're supposed to be a, a doctor? Anything, name anything if you woke up tomorrow and you're supposed to be it. You know the first thing you'd do? You would go to someone who's good at that and you would find out how to be good like them. Christianity, spirituality is the only thing that someone says, all right, I'm going to be a good Christian. No church for me, no pastor for me, no discipleship for me. I'm going to pray in tongues two hours a day. Really? And you're just going to figure it out, huh? Yep. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need another shepherd. Okay. Have fun with that. And then Paul gets even more arrogant and says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. <laughs> He's telling Timothy, imitate me, be like me. If you heard some spiritual leader say that to you, if I walked up to someone today and said, Chris, be just like me. And Chris was the average Christian, which he's not. He's a great one. But if Chris was an average Christian, he'd say, you narcissistic egotistic jerk be like you I'm not going to be like you I'm going to be like Christ what's he look like what's Christ look like
Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. That is why I've sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. What? what? Is it in your Bible too? Or I guess on the screen. Which is exactly what I teach everywhere in every church is beloved a church. If Paul was here, would he be teaching this? Why did we forget this? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of your soul and your spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. This is why a lot of people don't like the Bible, because the Bible judges you. Well, I don't want to be judged. Well, don't read your Bible. Okay, I feel better now. Good for you. Hope that works out. The intention, inside tension of your heart is going to be proper if our life is built by the information of the word. Right. We'll talk about paideia next time we're together. I, I, I'm stopping right here. If I start this, it'll be a mess. The synopsis here is that I want us all to understand. I don't care how young you are how old you are, how new you are in the Lord, or how old you are in the Lord. That if you've never done this process on purpose, it didn't happen by accident. You don't accidentally build a foundation. You have to do this on purpose. Blueprint, excavation, formation, rebar, and then living that out in decoration. You've got to do this on purpose, and we're going to be doing this together. Paideia. We're going to make, take the totality of a person. I'm going to teach you how to physically exercise. <laughs> no, nobody likes that. Amen. Someone fussed at me because they said, hey, make sure every time you say, we're beloved church and we call fat, fat, that you, that you say, make sure that you say that we call sin, sin, because we don't want, like, fat people to think we're picking on them like okay so we call fat fat and we call sin sin so it's 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 a spiritual thing it's not a blubber thing i got blubber from jeff so blame him he he said it earlier it's like the blubber comes off easy it's that hard fat way down on the inside like that stuff doesn't want to come out and i'm like yeah i know it's the spiritual life like sometimes it's easy to shed that just that real quick, like, all right, not doing that no more. But then like deep down, like, whoa, 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 whoa I got to get rid of that. Yeah, you got to get rid of that. That's really hard. I know. Got to work out a lot. Okay, I guess I better get at it. Yeah, otherwise it ain't coming off. Idea. We're going to build these foundations together. I got stuff in my foundation I got to sure up. So I'm glad we're doing this together. Amen. You're part of my living stones. 
I'm part of your living stones. Amen. Maybe just put me on the backside and the outside of your house. You'll never see me. So please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.